Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Now, I realized last week was the real Happy New Year. Almost fell there. But this is my first week back, so it's my Happy New Year with you. And I want to wish you all a Happy New Year. I really missed you. I was in Georgia with my son and my daughter-in-law, who is expecting, by the way. Actually, due Tuesday, but went to the doctor Thursday, and the baby hadn't dropped yet. So it's going to be another week or two. But I will ask you to pray with me that everything is going to go beautifully, and that soon Peter Tokar IV will be born into the world. Yeah. And when that happens, I will inundate you with pictures, <laughs> magazine articles, and everything else that goes with it. But uh, I do covet your prayers. I-, I am so excited about 2015, not just because I'm going to become a granddad again, and that's really exciting, but, but I'm so excited about our church. I really am. I'm excited about things that are happening. By the way, you, you gave me a wonderful welcome home gift. Did you know that? You, you, don't, you don't know that. I'm going to share it with you. You remember at the November, I shared our annual State of the Church Address. And I told you that's been a challenging year in our giving. And in fact, uh, when we had two successful years of of going over our budget, this year we were $58,000 behind our budget. Well, I talked to you and I I taught you again that it's always been God's directive that God's people, people like you and me, financially support the advancement of the kingdom of Christ here on earth. That's always how it's been. And I talked to you and I challenged you to really get involved in that and to really own that and, and to live that. And, and you did, and I was so excited. When I got back and I looked at, at the, the, the giving report for the month of December, I saw such an amazing response. You know, our offering goal was $21,640 a week, and we hadn't been making that. And I came back and we made it every single week of the month of December and went even over it. We were able to reduce our year-end deficit from 58000 to some 45000 in just four weeks. I think that is amazing. Now, th- that was encouraging to me, but I can't even imagine what a blessing that was to God. When he sees us willing to do what he has called us to do, and, and when he, willing to live up to the challenge of supporting the advancement of the kingdom, I know he was really excited. Now, we need to carry that spirit on all year long, and there's no end. You know what this tells me? This tells me two things. Number one, it tells me we have the capacity, we have the capability to give on that level. And number two, it tells me we have the heart to do it, and that's more important. You have the heart. Listen, here's what I know about you. I'm in my 18th year as your pastor here, and here's what I know about you. You love Jesus. I hear it in your singing. I see it in your faces. And I see it in your giving and your service. You love Jesus. Listen, if we can love Jesus and really come, go all in for him, there is no end to what can happen around here. I'm so excited about 2015. You know, you see our campus is coming together. You see this beautiful extension of our lobby that it's going to be out there. And we're going to be able to have more room to just fellowship in between services and, and have more room for sign up so we're not all just pressing against each other in the lobby like it's been. This summer, we hope to, to, to uh, pave that front grassy area and make it additional parking so that we're not walking through the mud into the building. All these things are there that will be helpful to be attractive to people coming to our church and help us to have a better experience too. 
But then, you know, we've been talking about these wellness programs that we're going to start. Well, I'm happy to announce to you, we're going to launch our first one in February. And it's called Grief Share. It's a program designed to help people who are experiencing or have just gone through some experience of grief, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or, or some traumatic experience. And I'm going to encourage those of you who are dealing with grief right now to get involved with this. We've test drove this in another ministry that had it. Three of our folks from the church went to that who were in a process of having lost a loved one, and they came back saying it was life-changing. And that's what we're looking for. See, we're looking for life change. Listen, we are poised as a church to witness some amazing things, to witness God working through us in amazing ways. And there's still some challenges. Let me share one of the challenges from my heart with you. Can I share my heart with you for a second? One of our challenges is this, is that we have such amazing things. How many believe this is a great church? Do you love your church? I love this church. I really do. Last week, I'm sitting in another church. I'm going to church with my, my, my son and my daughter-in-law. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm looking at my watch saying, well, at church, they're doing this now. And at church, they're doing this now. And I wonder how so-and-so's doing. And, I, and it was hard almost to engage because I love this church so much. I love all of you so much. Well, you know, here's one of our challenges. People don't know how good we are. People come here and they love the experience. They say, wow, this is friendly. Wow, exciting music and all this. They don't know we're here. Because we have what has become a confused identity in the community. From the beginning... From, I'm talking years and years ago, when the church migrated from Coconut Creek, I think it was, and it was called Grove Community Church, became Florida Bible College down on the beach. It became known as an educational institution. And then it moved out here when the college moved to Kissimmee, and it became known as Florida Bible Christian School. In fact, you know, if you do so, if you take a, your, your iPhone, and don't all do it at once here, but if you would take pictures just here at the stage, and then you would get out of your, your camera and go back into it, you know how it automatically groups things? You know what it's going to call those photos you took in here? Florida Bible Christian School. When we deal with vendors, they come back. We don't even tell them about Florida Bible College, Florida Bible Christian School. It'll come back, Florida Bible College. I mean, it hadn't been Florida Bible College in 40 years. We have a mistaken identity in the community. And we we need to address, staff has been on me forever about this. The elders, we're all on board with this. And we we need to seriously look at moving forward and creating an identity. We need to look into a discovery process of rebranding and and really let people know there's a church here. And it's not just a church. It's an amazing church. Amen? Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm I'm serious about this. Now, now please, please don't take this lightly. I'm asking you to diligently pray for me, pray for the staff, pray for the elders as we explore possibilities for that. Would you do that? How many, if you'll do that, would you raise your hand? I want a public display that you'll, now don't forget, don't raise your hand if you won't do it. I want you to pray for us because we need your prayers. Amen? Amen? Now, the other thing, more important than any of that, that is going to determine the impact of this church going forward is what we do individually. And that's why I want to start the new year off talking about my New Year's revolution. Not not resolution. I don't want you to make a resolution. You know why I don't want you to make a resolution? Because statistics prove that 90% of all New Year's resolutions last only two weeks, and they're done. Uh, some of you might have received the uh, memo, the email that I sent out, and I said, probably some of you are thinking, two weeks, man, I was two days and mine was blown. <laughs> we don't keep resolutions. And you know, the day that we live in doesn't call for a resolution. It calls for a revolution. How many agree that our culture is in decline? 
morally and ethically and, and, and especially spiritually. Not our culture only, but around the world we see all the chaos and the hatred and everything going on everywhere. Listen, if this world ever needed a time when God's people stood up to the plate, I mean believers in Jesus Christ, and said, I'm not making some kind of a New Year's resolution. I am joining a revolution to put God back on the throne in culture, in society, but first in my own life. That's what I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you today about revolution power. How can we make a commitment this year that this is the year and this is the day that we make a commitment that we want to become closer to Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. That we want to be more impactful for Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. As a church, but as individuals. I know you felt that way because I know you. I know your heart. And I know some of you are, are, are right now even thinking, you know, I want to give God more of myself. I, I want to really get more serious about my relationship. I want to start better preparing myself for eternity. Well, today is the day that we all start that journey together. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bible, either on your phone or you brought one, you can open it to that passage, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that gives us the formula to have power to realize this revolutionary attitude, this revolutionary commitment. See, you know, because why is it going to just be like every other resolution and just die out in a couple of weeks? Because we have a formula, and it's not just a man-made formula. It's a divine formula for success. Do you know you already have the power in you to be successful, to live for Christ at a level you never imagined, and to be impactful for the kingdom of Christ that you never imagined for? It's already in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So what does it say? Let's look at the passage together. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, within this, this passage, a passage that was written, by the way, to Hebrew believers, converts to Christianity in the first century, who were really struggling. They were having a hard time. They were under persecution, and they were getting thrown out of their families and getting thrown out of their, their, their society and getting thrown out of their businesses. And they, they were really struggling. And so this was written as a book to encourage them. And, and so there's a key phrase that I want us to pick up into as we start talking about this idea of my New Year's resolution. And here's why it's not our New Year's resolution, why it's my resolution and your resolution and your resolution and your resolution and your resolution. Look what it says. It says, let us run with preservation the race marked out for us. Amen. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Do you know that God has a race marked out for you? Specifically, individually, personally, not us, you. And it's only when I'm running my race that's marked out for me and you're running your race marked out for you collectively that God can use us in unimaginable ways as a church. See, that's why what we're talking about is my New Year's revolution. Now, God, for the last... 17 years, in my 18th year now, has chosen to call me to run this leg of my race here at Florida Bible Church with you. 
Now, in the same token, God has used whatever influence that he has used to bring you to this place to run this leg of your race. Now, together, we encourage each other. And together, we learn how to run that race. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple weeks. But here's what I want you to own right now, because this is key. God has a race marked out for you. For you personally, individually. God is mindful of who you are. You are his creation. And he loves you. And he has a passion to use you beyond your imagination. It starts out, the whole formula, with a word of encouragement. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Now, as you study your Bible, let me, let me just give you a, a, a little Bible 101 here. Whenever you see a word like therefore, or but, or as a result, you always have to go back to what has just been talked about. Because there's a connection. So he's saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, who's this cloud of witnesses? Well, we have to go back to chapter 11 to see the cloud of witnesses. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11 are listed all the great characters, or many of the great characters of the Bible. Modern theologians call it the Christian Hall of Fame chapter. People like Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Samuel and these great patriarchs of our faith are all listed. And then it talks about some people who are listed anonymously, but because of their amazing race of faith that they won, that, that, that they ran and they won. So these are kind of like pinnacles. These are people who God is praising. And so when we get to Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Now, now the idea sometimes is represented as like we're in Sunlight Stadium, and, and we're the ones on the field, and all these people who have lived before us are going, yeah, go, go. But that's not, the, that's not the, what's going on here. Because they're not conscious of what we're doing down here, because they're enjoying their eternal reward. This is... A witness to me, this is a witness to you, that this revolution that God has called us to live is possible. That's what it's a witness to. It's saying since so many people, including all these people that are listed in chapter 11, have successfully realized this revolutionary lifestyle, you can do it too. You know why? Because they were no different than us. Amen. You know, trust me this. If we were transported back into their day and their time, we would not be over-impressed with these people at face value. They'd be just like us. They wouldn't even probably stand out in a crowd. We would, you're Abraham, really? And, and, and you're, you're Noah? No, you're really the Noah? Really? See, we, we put these people on pedestals and we put them up high. But listen, they're just like you and me. But they ran the race that was marked out for them. They bought into the revolution. They didn't make some resolution. They went all in for revolution. Now, what this does is it tells us that if God was with them in running their race, then we can trust that God is going to empower us to run our race. The power is already inside us. Now mark this down. Whatever you experienced in 2014, mark this down. Some believer 
also experienced that. You weren't alone in it. Whatever you will experience, whatever will happen to you in 2015, you can mark this down, that you're not the first believer that that happened to. See, that's that cloud of witnesses because we do this together. We run our race, our own race, but we run it in encouragement each other. We're not running against each other. We're running with each other and encouraging each other to accomplish our individual race. Now, what happens in light of all that I just said? Hebrews gives us some directives on how we can tap in to that revolutionary power to keep this commitment, not make it like some New Year's resolution that lasts about a couple weeks. How we can make this a lifetime journey, a lifetime victory that leads us to the victory line at the end of our race. You want to do that? Well, we're going to learn how to do that. First of all, to do that, Hebrews 12 one through three says we need to throw off some stuff. We need to throw off some stuff. It tells us we need to throw off everything that hinders us, everything that hinders us from running the race marked out from us, for being intimate with Jesus Christ, for having an impact that will last for all eternity for the kingdom of Christ. It says what's getting in the way of that? What's getting in the way of you being closer to Jesus Christ than you have ever been before? He says, we need to identify those things and we need to get rid of them. Now, notice there's two categories. The first category is not sin. Now, we understand the whole sin thing. But the first category is just whatever. See, what's getting in the way of you being the man of God that God wants you to be, the woman of God that God wants you to be? What's getting in the way? Maybe it's you've got your schedule so cluttered with so many activities, and they're not bad. There's nothing sinful about them. There's a lot of good causes you're in, but you're in so many things that you've been knocked out of your race. You're, you really don't have time for God. Maybe it's that you're, you're, you're so caught up in your career and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and the Bible says for, you know, that if we don't support our own family, we're worse than infidels. But we're so caught up in, in trying to achieve and run that race that we're not running the race that God has marked out for us. See? And it might be finances. It might be some relationship. But whatever it is, and right now, God's calling me and God's calling you to say, what is it in my life that is keeping me from being more intimate with Jesus Christ? What is it in my life that when I hear that the church ha has a need in some ministry and I'm saying, boy, I really want to do that, but I can't do that right now because dot, dot, dot. I really want, want to get closer to Jesus Christ. I want to have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, but right now I can't because dot, dot, dot. Amen. See, that's what's hindering the race that's marked out for you. And at the very beginning of this whole revolution, God has inspired the author of Hebrews to say this. He says, you've got to identify those things and you've got to throw them away. Then he goes on to say, in the sin that so easily entangles. See, many of us, we know that we have behaviors that are not honoring to God. And we're embracing them, we're living them, we're hanging on to them. And they're not honoring to God, and we know it. You know, people periodically come to me and they say, well, pastor, is it wrong to do this? And, and, and I just look at them and I say, what's the Holy Spirit telling you? 
What has God already revealed about that in his word? See, the vast majority of time, people know what's right and they know what's wrong. And oftentimes they go to other people trying to find a way to justify, to rationalize their behavior. See, that's what's really going on. See, what the Bible says is all of us are alike here this morning. I am, I'm just like you. I'm no different. It's time for me to, to, to look at my life once again and to see what is hindering me from being more of a man of God than I am right now. What is hindering me from from running my race with more energy and and more purpose and more productivity? See, that's where we start. That's where the revolution starts. We got to throw off those things. Then it goes on to say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run, not crawl, not walk, not strategize, not sit on the sideline and cheer others. It says, let us run with what? Perseverance, with determination, with uncompromising energy and and focus. Let us run with perseverance the race. Now, I want you to know that race in the Greek is agon. And it's the Greek word that we get our English word agony. How about that? Here's my good news for you. You're you're running a race marked out for you, and it's going to be characterized by agony. Say, well, gee, thanks, Pastor. That's good New Year's. Now, now, is it constant agony? Not for most. But here's what we got to understand this is a long distance race. This isn't a sprint that's over in a couple seconds, over in a day, over in a week, over in a month, over in a year. This is a life race to the finish line. And it's a race that is going to be characterized by agony. You know, I love the Bible and I love God because God is honest with us. You know, Jesus, he was so upfront about this. When Jesus taught us, he said, listen, if you want to follow me, you got to what? Take up your cross. He said, you're going to run a race that's characterized by agon, agony. There's going to be times when it's not fun. There's going to be times when you don't feel like doing it. There's going to be times when it's hurtful. There's going to be times when it is so challenging. But we need to run with what? Perseverance. We need to run through the pain. That's what he's saying. You know, why? Have you under why doesn't God allow us who have believed in Jesus Christ? Why doesn't God allow people like you and me who are here in church this morning when probably the vast number of the neighbors that we passed driving here to church today and people around the community are not in church today, don't care anything about God, don't care anything about the service, don't care anything about, they might be nominal believers that there is a God out there somewhere. But they haven't dedicated themselves to, you, to him like you have. Why doesn't God allow us to have a much smoother ride? Why do we have to run a race of agon, agony? Why? Well, I think the main reason is it's because it's the lapse of agony that draw us closer to God. Now, let's be honest about this. When life is going really well for us and things are, are good and there's money in the bank and we're healthy and there's no relational problems in our family and all that kind of stuff, is that when we draw closest to God? No. When do we draw closest to God? When we get the pink slip. When we get the bad report at the doctor. When things start going bad, boy, then it's, Jesus, I love you, you know, I love you, I'm here, Jesus, and you need to be here. You know, I mean, I do it, you do it, we all do it, right? Can we be honest about that? So one of the reasons is that 
God uses agony in our race to keep us drawn to him, to keep our eyes on him, to keep our trust in him. Now, the other reason is he allows us to have periods of agony, laps of agony in our race so that we can reach out from personal experience to those who are in agony themselves. The Bible says that God comforts us in our sorrow so that we can use the comfort God has given us to comfort others with. If we never suffer, then we're not going to be any good to God helping those who do suffer. And who is more tender-hearted towards salvation, towards Jesus Christ, than a person who's suffering and who's looking for answers? and who will receive a word of encouragement far more readily from somebody they know that has experienced what they're experiencing, that has run through the pain of that life chapter in their lives. And they'll say, yeah, I'm going to listen to you. You really do know what I'm feeling. You really do know my experience. So we need to run with perseverance. You say, it's painful right now, and I don't feel God. That's normal. Run through it. Don't let it sidetrack you. And say, well, that's really hard. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So God gives us the solution to that challenge. Because he next says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Here's the only way we can be successful. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Hey, you know what? We've got a secret weapon in this whole thing. Our secret weapon is Jesus Christ. See, we, we need to fix our eyes. When you're running a race, and, and you may not believe this, but I used to be a track star. I know I'm a pudgy preacher now. But I, I used to be a track star. I was the MVP for our county in running the 100-yard dash, the 220, and the long jump. I got gold in all three. I was in the newspaper. When I used to run, I wasn't looking at what was going on around me. Because if there was anything I could see around me, I wasn't winning the race. I wanted other people to be looking at my backside. I wasn't looking in the stands. I was looking at the tape at the end of that race. And that would had my complete focus, my complete attention, and my complete purpose. And I ran as hard and fast as I could until I broke that tape. Now, at the end of our race is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is standing there saying, come on now, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, don't give up, come on, run, 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 hard, 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 I know it's hurts, I know, run through the pain. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he's cheering us on. Not only is he cheering us on, but when we get to the end of our race, he has eternal rewards that he wants to lavish on us. When I finished that track meet, I got a trophy for most valuable performer. I I got a, 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 a ribbon for every one of those events I won. And you know where they are today? I don't either. I have no idea where they're at. But I can't lose the reward at the end of the race marked out for me. I can't lose it. I can't lose it. I can't lose it. Because Jesus is holding the reward. 
And when I get the reward, it has everlasting, it has forever and ever power. And so does yours. See, I'm running the race marked out for me and Jesus is out there saying, come on. And you're running the race marked out for you. And Jesus is as much there for you at the end of your race as he is for me and as he was for every one of those people in that Hall of Fame chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. He is there. And if we keep our eyes on him, everything's going to good. Let us fix his eyes on him. Why? He's the author of the race. Do you know why you exist today? Do you know why you are in this, this thing called the history of mankind? It's because Jesus wrote you into the story. He chose you. He knew you when you were in your mom's womb, Psalm 139. He formed you the way that you are to run the race marked out for you. He wrote the race, and the reason you're in the race, you know why you're a believer? Not because you went chasing after God. You're a believer because God came chasing after you. And he found you, and he gave you the gospel, and he gave you the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he sealed your fate for eternity. He's the author of it all. And now he's the author. He's the perfecter of it. I, I love what Philippians 1.6 says. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. What's the day of Jesus Christ? The day I cross the finish line of the race. That's the day of Jesus Christ. That's the day of my reward. And it says, not only has he written the race, not only has he authored your life story, he has perfected it. He will ensure himself that you successfully cross the finish line if you keep your eyes on him. If you throw off the stuff that hinders. If you run with perseverance, the race marked out with you. If you run through the pain. Write this down. When we fix our eyes... Our feet will follow. You might say it this way. Whatever we fix our eyes on is where our feet are going to follow. If I fix my eyes on the, the things of this world and fame and money and material things, that's where my feet are going to go. My feet are going to go that way. If I fix my eyes on, uh, on sin and, and what my, wants to satisfy my body, that's where my feet are going to go. But wherever my feet go, other than the race marked out for me, you know who, who I'm hurting? I'm hurting me. I'm ruining my race. I've lost something that I might have got if I kept my eyes on Jesus. Not my salvation, because that's guaranteed. Now, finally, he says this. He says, consider him, verse 3, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, that's the fourth thing we do. We need to consider his example. Now, this whole thing starts with encouragement and ends with encouragement. Here's, what, here's the encouragement at the ending. That no matter what we go through, no matter what agony our race carries us through, no matter what steep mountains we got to run up, no matter what valleys we got to run through, Jesus has already run through every one of them. Jesus didn't come here and do as he was entitled to do. As being the son of God, he could have come here and said, all of you bow down to me, all of you worship me, all of you grovel before me. He is God. He is the omnipotent God of the universe. And he had every right to demand that of us, but he didn't. Instead, he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, lay your burden on me. Cast your anxieties on me, for I care for you. That's what Jesus said. But he knows every pain. He knows the, the sting of betrayal. He knows the sting of abuse. He knows the sting of rejection. He knows everything that we know. He's experienced. 
And he says, whenever you get tired in the race, you consider that the one you're racing to meet at the other end, he knows about your race. He knows about your pain because he's experienced himself. And so because he knows about your pain, he's getting you across the finish line. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. Read it with me. If we do not give up. Read it again. If we do not give up. Read it again. If we do not give up. Yeah, see, that's what it's all about. Oh, listen. Here's my challenge to you. This morning, right here. January 11, 2015. Join the revolution. Say, today. Say, say, every one of those people in Hebrews chapter 11, those Greek people of faith, they had a day like we have right now. They had a day when they had to decide whether or not they were going all in for God, going all in for Jesus Christ. Abraham had to leave the comfort of the, com- of the country that he was living and go to a land that he didn't even know. God said, you just start walking, I'll get you there. He had to make a decision on whether to obey that voice or not. Noah had to to either obey God and build an ark because of something the world had never even experienced before out in the middle of nowhere, or he could have said, this is crazy, I'm not doing this. He could listen to all the naysayers around him saying, what are you doing, you crazy old man? See, everyone has a day of decision. My challenge is today, join the revolution. Make this the year that you go all in for God. Make this the year that you begin a race of faith that marvels and shocks the world and that brings glory to Jesus Christ and that will bring eternal reward to you. Amen. Join the race. So well, how do I do it? Come back and I'll teach you. <laughs> right now, let's bow our heads for just a moment. Right now, just you and Jesus. Come on, you and Jesus right now. You and the Holy Spirit right now. Don't, don't be thinking about your spouse. Don't be thinking about your friend. Don't be thinking about your kids. Don't be thinking about you. Just you right now. Be selfish right now. You and Jesus. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Holy Spirit's saying we need to get rid of some things. What do you need to get rid of? What's hindering you from giving your all to Jesus? Maybe it's sin. What sin is in your life that you need to jettison? You need to come clean with. You need to confess it. Right now, will you say, I'm going to run with perseveration or perseverance, the race marked out for me. God, I'm going to get, I'm doing it, I'm committed to it today, God. You're going to have to help me. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. You're going to have to help me and teach me how to do that. And he will. But right now, make this your day. Our ushers are going to come, our deacons, elders. We're going to take communion right now. You can look up. As we receive the elements, first take a cracker and put it on your lap and then take the cup and then pass the tray on to your neighbor. But once you do receive this, I want you to go back into that reflective posture that you were just in. And I I want you to, to think about and listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to you today. As believers are doing that, I want to reach out to Maybe someone who is just starting a journey of faith. Maybe this is the new year and you thought, you know what? I got to make some changes in my life and I'm going to go to church today. And you may have never been to church before. This is maybe the first time you've been in church in years. 
Matter of fact, you were afraid when you walked through you, that you, the lightning might have struck you and you might have been dead because it's been so long. But you're here. You're here. Let me tell you where the revolution starts. Where this amazing race starts. It starts at the foot of the cross. And every single believer, every single Christian had to start that same place. It starts with the eternal forgiveness of our sin, which is a gift. See, every religion of the world teaches this, that you have to appease God. You have to live a good enough life. You have to satisfy some divine directives in order to enter heaven or, or karma or nirvana or whatever the religion teaches. It's based on you. It's based on how good you do, how good you are. Well, here's the thing. Good people don't go to heaven. Everyone going to heaven is a bad person. I'm a bad person, aren't you? I've done wrong. I've sinned. Only bad people go to heaven. But it's not based on our behavior because we're all bad. The difference on who goes to heaven and who doesn't isn't whether you're good or bad because we're all bad. The difference is Jesus Christ, what he's done for us and our faith in what he's done for us. The Bible says this, Jesus himself said it. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's he talking? He's talking about through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Now, every human being who hears that has to come to a decision as to whether they believe Jesus was being unimaginably arrogant in saying that about himself or whether he was being divinely honest about that. Now, let me just tell you from my experience, 38 years in ministry, a Christian since I was nine years old, everything that I know about Jesus Christ screams out that it wasn't arrogance, that it was honesty, that it was humility, and it was unimaginable love. Here's, here's the truth. God loves you so much that he died on the cross for you in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son. And he offers you the gift. Bible says this, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3, 16, watch the football games today, and in the end zone, you'll see a big placard. So John 3, 16, the most quoted verse in all the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. John 1.12 says, Yet to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Oh, my friend, if you're starting a journey of faith today, it starts at the cross. It starts at humbling yourself. And before Jesus Christ, before in God the Father, admitting there's nothing you can do of yourself to enter heaven, to be forgiven for your sins. It has to come through what Jesus did for you. You've got to transfer your confidence off of anything and anyone else but Jesus Christ. And then simply ask for the gift. Romans chapter 10 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's all he asks. He asks for faith because it's a race of faith. If you've never done that this morning, you can do it right now. You can just ask him, say, God, 
I confess to you I need your forgiveness, God. I confess to you that I'm not a perfect person. I may not be a criminal, but I'm not a perfect person. So I need your forgiveness. And I get it now, God. The only way I can get it is through what Jesus did on the cross. So today, as best as I understand what this pastor has been talking about, I'm transferring my confidence off of my own goodness, my own works. Instead, I believe in Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus, I'm calling for you to be my Savior. Jesus, I'm putting my faith alone in you. I'm asking you to forgive my sin, for you to pay my sin debt with your blood. I'm asking for you to adopt me in the family today. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for eternal life. Now, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you just made that decision before you leave today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One is on your connection card in your bulletin. Fill out legibly all the information about yourself and on the back. First, it has a box you can check. says, I blank trust that Christ is my Savior. Put your first name in there. Check that box. And as you leave, put it in the, the offering kiosk or, or take it out to the booth. And then also go out to the booth and get a little blue book. Just say, I want the blue book. They'll know what you're talking about. It's a little blue book that's entitled, You Can Be Sure. You can take that book home and read it in five minutes this afternoon. And it will reaffirm what Jesus has just done for you, how he has impacted your soul for eternity. Now, how did he do that? Here's how he did it right here. That's what communion is about, is remembering the price that it costs God to give us eternal life. Jesus himself left us with this ceremony. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he passed it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Oh, my Beloved, and I mean that from all sincerity, my beloved brothers and sisters, let's join the revolution. Let's make today, January 11, 2015, the day that we commit to run the race marked out for us. Come back next week and we'll learn more about how to do it. Amen? As we leave today, don't forget another act of worship, which is important. Let's start the year off right with our tithes and our offerings. Let's give. Let's give sacrificially. That's part of the race. Jesus talks about that a lot. Let's give to the glory of God. Father, we love you. We adore you. And God, we pray that you will help us all to run the race that's marked out for us. First, to embrace the fact that we have our own race. You've created. You're the author of it, and you're the perfecter of it. We just need to run it. Keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you, and one more time, we praise your name. In Jesus' name, we dedicate our lives to you. Amen.